1: In this episode of the IOIdea podcast, I sit down with Shanali Bomek. Shanali is a proud multi hyphenate. She's a musician, actress, comedian, filmmaker, and writer. She currently co hosts her own live variety show podcast series called We Don't Even Know. She is a leader of the indie rock band Tigers and Monkeys, for which she is the songwriter, singer, and guitar player. She's a member of the popular comedy collective Variety Shack with Chelsea Peretti. Heather Lawless and Andrea Rosen. We discussed Schnally's early interest in music and her path from Nashville to Atlanta to law school to that of a creative in New York City. Also, a little extra for experts, listen to Schnally's doorbell playing for Elise. Even her doorbell exudes positive vibes. Her life and approach align with the key themes of the IO idea creativity, craft, and persistence. It was an honor having Schnally on the podcast. I thank her for sharing her time her insights, as well as her positive and affirming energy. I hope you enjoy the episode. Shanali, thank you so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, uh, for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm one of those. I'm proudly a multi-hyphenate. You know? I used to Really, be a little shy about sharing all the various things that I do, but um, I live in New York City, via Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a musician, writer, um, activist, lawyer on the side, podcast host, comedian. I I just I have evolved to the place where I embrace everything that I feel like describes me you know and I feel like that's empowering to women too is that they should do that everybody should do that but that's a little bit of me now I've been in New York for um over 10 years I it it still seems like a new place to me I love it so much Um, but uh Nashville is still my hometown which I go there often and and then I'm also um a South Asian um, woman too my parents are Indian And so there's, there's lots, there's lots to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and filmmaker too, right?
0: Filmmaker. Yes. Filmmaker. um, You know, I I feel like by virtue of being um, an Indian woman um, in general, things have gotten better over the years, but it's almost, you have to make your own art, you know, your work content wise, it's hard to get jobs as an actress um, unless you create that work you know, content for yourself. So by default, but I love it. I love that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, that's a, a great place to grow up f- from a music perspective. Uh, yes. but do you mind uh, kind of walking me through your kind of your creative journey where all the, where you got hooked on some of these interests?
0: Yeah, I, I, I can say, that music is definitely ultimately like the core of, of who I am. It's the one word that I would never let go of that describes me and I'm certain it came from via my parents who were, you know, even they're Indian, but they were also playing Indian music mixed with rock and roll records and soul records when they came to the US in the seventies. And then um, I immediately was drawn to singing at a young age. and. I am certain that being in Nashville created this group of friends that parent, their parents. My best friend growing up, her parents were songwriters. um, And that, in fact, that whole network led me to the fact that we could record music at at a young age. We were sitting in the backyard with now very famous, you know, at then they were young, young folks making music, but now they're famous songwriters, famous record executives in Nashville. They gave us um, access to um, recording rooms. You know, as a for them, it was like let's let the girls, you know, have fun. And we had instruments at a young age, so um, quickly I became a songwriter. I mean, we started probably in fifth grade making silly songs that we would share with people, and uh, then um, it just like straight into going to rock and roll shows in Nashville at a young age, and I described. Um, Matt just yesterday to the world on social media, you know, in terms of the passing of Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen directly is related to one of the reasons I play rock and roll music. Um, that was the first band I saw in eighth grade, and you know that that part of me, although I never knew, ultimately it would be um, something I would define myself as a musician. You know, um, because I am Indian American and by virtue of that means you're like a doctor, lawyer, engineer, it's just default what happens. So I did go to law school, but I also, you know, couldn't let go of the music and ultimately it just became right after law school, I started a rock band and just started touring and we were well received in Atlanta called Ultra Baby Fat with that best childhood friend, Michelle Dubois, who's also, makes amazing music currently, and we're still close friends. So we say that band's never, um, we never ended that band. She's in Atlanta, I'm here. Um, But then since then I started Tigers and Monkeys, I've put out uh, solo music. It's been exactly what I wanted to do since I was a child and I made it happen without knowing that it was the path I would take, you know? So that's just a small smidgen of wow music. Yeah. So you had,
1: you had Van Halen. uh, We talked about that, but uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: any other uh, like early, early loves or influence music wise that just kept you wanting to make music?
0: It's, you know, I, I hope that um, all of the influences are, you can hear them in my music now, but even at that time, you know, I was definitely like love pop radio. So ELO and Stevie Wonder, you know, it's like, those are amazing pop songwriters that influenced me, but the Beatles, of course, I think is like the the, the standard ans- answer to everybody, you know? Um, right. Um, when they say their influences, they definitely were mine. That was the first band that I loved as a like five-year-old. I think I had a dream that I rode tricycles with Paul McCartney as a little kid. <laughs> so, um. Yeah. And then when you get into like the indie rock time, Nashville is such a great town. There was such a good music scene in terms of people outside of the country music scene. Um, And we had an amazing radio station called WRVU. It's a Vanderbilt station. Right. And um, we also had another like late night show. Maybe it was WMAK. I remember we had amazing radio. So we were getting access to all these. Cool underground bands at a young age, so I started sneaking into shows. You know, getting the fake stamps on yeah. my hand with my friend Michelle at sixteen, and we would go into bars to see bands um, before we were yeah. And we weren't drinking; we just wanted to see live music. And you know, I saw REM when I was sixteen, and um, yeah, the Rape Replacements, and yeah, it was just in in those shows. You know, I had no idea till now you know reflecting on like how they changed my life you know but i never let go of it since i was a kid and it's still yeah you know, i always say till i'm 85 or yeah. till i die i am excited to be an 85 year old on stage playing rock and roll you know i can't wait
1: <laughs> that's awesome so uh and and i apologize in advance if this is is boring for a musician but one of the things that fascinates me about tigers and monkeys is I feel like there's all kinds of different influences uh, it, that I'm hearing through there. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll run through a few. And you, I would
0: you love that. I tell t-
1: love t- that. tell tell me where I'm where I'm right, wrong. Uh, okay. So, so I think part of this too, uh, a couple things that might be influenced by Nashville or Tennessee. But I feel like I'm hearing some big star in there.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, big Alex Chilton. I I I lived in Memphis for a short time, and I would. Stock him if i i mean when i say that is anywhere he was if i heard he was i would go and like to the bookstore i I met him in new orleans like yes that is one of my biggest influences i love big star and alex Chilton. yes Uh,
1: right on uh side note uh when i was in when i was in college uh we had a sketch comedy show for our uh just a student video station but our uh, our theme song, and I'm sure we had all the rights for it cleared, but our the theme was the uh, replacement Alex Chilton. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes. So that, that was like when that song came out, that was like, whoa, how does this come together? My brain is exploding. I wish this to happen and it happened, you know? Yeah.
1: So uh, playing on Tennessee a little bit more too, and I think this is uh, vocally too, I feel like I hear some Dusty Springfield in Memphis coming out.
0: I do love Dusty Springfield. I don't know if I knew that it was an afterthought, right? Where yeah. I realized that there's these Southern influences. You know, I didn't know that I have a Southern twang when I sing, you know? <laughs> right. I, you know, but yes.
1: Uh, I feel, and so... Uh, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, home of Cheap Trick. Mm -hmm. I feel like some of Tigers and Monkeys, that power pop of early Cheap Trick.
0: Oh, yes. I would say for Michelle and I, you're nailing this. Cheap Trick, Um, when I was in eighth grade, I went and got Cheap Trick's autograph at Cats Records in Nashville. And they were the nicest, they were so kind. And Robin Zander, I I mean, they just, I still think they're fantastic. but yes, so that friend of mine that I still am yeah. a musical and best friend with, we both love Cheap Trick. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, growing up in Rockford, we would see them out and about, right? And wow. super, super nice. Uh, and like uh, my younger brother played football with one of Rick Nielsen's kids, and you know oh when you gosh. when you'd see him at like a youth football game, it's well there there's Rick just the dad, right? It's still I mean always like super, super nice guys. That's Uh, so cool. So related to that also, I would throw in Pixies.
0: Oh, that would be um, a high level influence. Like uh, that's still, the Pixies is is still something that I use like to inspire me while I'm writing because I still think no other music's created that way. And it, it hits me in a place where, I feel like it's an extension of me, you know. I may not say that I'm in the Pixies, but I definitely feel like that music, it comes from me in my soul, you know. Um, we played a show, Ultra Baby Fat played a show, I feel like this was in Oregon. I can't, I, I, I'm i not certain. Um, but Frank Black played before, he did an earlier show, and you know, it's interesting to see because he didn't have such a following as a solo artist, but he's, he's still amazing. It was still fantastic. And he also was super cool. It was just like a dream come true. That's what I would say. Ultimately, a part of playing rock and roll is about meeting your rock and roll heroes while you do it. And that's definitely happened with me many, many, many times, you know?
1: Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like Frank Black and the Catholics didn't get their due. I thought I thought he was still putting out great music and yeah, I was a huge Pixies fan uh, growing up because the first time I heard the, yeah, the first time.
0: Thank you,
1: So, so far I'm on track. Are these good?
0: You're on track. You're like so on track.
1: I'll throw, I'll throw one more out there, but now I'm risking losing my perfect score, but a (laughs) a little bit too of uh, kind of camera, camera obscura uh, kind of, you know, when it's a little, when more of your light kind of lighter, uh, (laughs) I appreciate
0: that one because I'm a fan that wouldn't have known that. And recently another friend said, "Told me about a newer song and said it was, it sounded like a camera obscure song, which I take as a big compliment. But again, that one would be something I would think of as an afterthought, you know, whereas Pixies, I was like, yes, I want to make music like this. you know? Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it, Matt. So, it's yeah. Right and. Here. <laughs> that's like I said that so
1: it uh, it meets kind of uh, uh sweet spots for both my my daughter and I when uh, we're driving during pandemic We're not getting out of the Aww. house that much, but driving her to art school and back. that's Aww. that's what we're listening to. That's so
0: fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That makes, makes, warms my heart.
1: And the, the listeners can't see this, but when, when our kids were young, we started sign language first because, uh, kids, kids can communicate through basic signs right before they, uh, tongues develop. Right. So, uh, but, uh, the sign for more, uh, Uh when she was really little and I would have cheap trick playing in the car. I would see it or bit. She wanted, she wanted it louder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> more, more. Oh my gosh. She's a girl after my heart. I love yeah. her.
1: <laughs> so, and then if I'm understanding this correctly too, is it music kind of took you into comedy? Am I? Yes, kind of you got- Ultra baby fat David cross connection.
0: Yeah. That Can you tell me, me a little bit so about that? that's it. and and that's also this is where where life you know you just believe in what you love and things will come your way you know i i was touring with my best friend in ultra baby fat and um late at night we would watch mr show and that's just a side note to say that while we were on tour we would see mr show and one of our bandmates at the time britta phillips who's now in luna she said that she knew a writer for Mr. Show. And so she was telling us about David and that he originally was from Atlanta. So she had like a little bit background that we had no idea. Cut to playing a show in Atlanta, Georgia. And in the front, right in front of us, is David Cross pogoing to us while we play. So at this point, we are huge fans of David Cross. And he's standing in front of us. And we... And, and, and I will also say that at this point, we had met every rock star we wanted to meet. So, this was the per this we were on to comedy, you know. And she and I also love to laugh like that's that's our connection. So, we were cracking up. It was a little bit surreal, like in front of our faces while we played, you know. Um, but after the show, you know, I grabbed him aside, we became fast friends like very uh, good friends immediately I asked him if he wanted to tour with us and he was wanting a break, he was doing um Arrested development and he needed. Um, he wanted to do something different, you know, and so he was down, we did a, a mini tour that I. Uh, uh, booked for us, he loved it so much, we went back and we we did a bigger tour with him just him and my band in a van. And he made a documentary from that. So that's the one, I think, I don't know if it's on um, Netflix anymore, but have you seen that documentary with David Cross on tour? I think it's called, um, well, he calls this, the album is like, shut up. Uh, I was gonna say, Let America Laugh, that's the one. Um, It's one of the first ones he did. It's so funny. We're in it, we did, crazy things with him on the road. Um, in that time frame, I had started imagining myself living in New York and um, the next year, it is crazy how it came together, but Michelle was gonna start going to grad school. We wouldn't have been touring so much. David Cross calls me. While I am thinking, I think I'm gonna move to New York. We have it. you know, I had a fan base there via Ultra Baby Fat. And he called me and he said, you know what? I'm going on tour with uh, Mr. Show. You can stay at my apartment. You should move to New York. So, bam. And I was welcomed into the comedy world in New York City um, quickly. I helped produce a live show with him downtown at um, uh, Piano's, which is a new bar. And I befriended lots of comedians in that time. And I struck a friendship with three women female comedians, Chelsea Peretti, um, Andrea Rosen, Heather Lawless, and we realized that there weren't, first of all, we were great friends, but also uh, there weren't many shows that had more than one woman on a show, so we decided it was time for us to step up and have our own show and have guests on our show, and that show was really successful called Variety Shack, S-H-A-C. And I will say we were one of the first groups to have started making videos before YouTube was even a thing, and and uh, we have a, a really cool fan base and inspired lots of male comedians to um, start making videos and got TV deals. <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: Because of us. So anyway, I, that is how you know. Thank you for even listening to that. That that yeah. is the, the shortest way I could tell you about that path, but it. it it i love telling that story so that other folks can imagine like if you just open yourself up to opportunities and how things will naturally uh you know make their make their way you know you don't you don't have to you work hard but you also work hard to make sure that you're open you know
1: yeah That's- i i don't know if you could get a a better sign than somebody telling you to Take their apartment for a while if you're considering going to New York, though.
0: <laughs> exactly. I and mean, it was a little, seriously. I was re- re- like suppressing the feeling that I needed to go to New York, but holding it into myself was I knew I could only say it if I was going to do it. But I was thinking it, and he called me right when I was thinking it. It's, you know...
1: Yeah, and when you said the documentary, I'm sorry because I was going back. I I know one documentary that they had, and it was like a riff on the Kings of like Kings of Comedy album. Uh, yeah. But it was like, That's, and that was that the like there's the merger of almost independent comedy and independent that music.
0: That Happened after David. Okay. I would say, and I will. I will just put my. I will say that myself and David Cross together are the origination of that reassertion of like. You know independent comedy and rock and roll and and like it coming together for them to do uh small clubs and rock clubs and everything so yeah zach and and these guys did it right after after that
1: yeah thanks i love i love that context Uh, um want to talk to you a little bit more so uh with the the comedy that you're doing are you it with so my mental model is upright citizens brigade is like rooted in in improv is it improv or you i know you just a variety so, show but where are so, you focusing your your comedy energy
0: so when it when it started it was the three of having a show in glen where we had stand-up comedy music and you know and special guests and that was a variety show and it was it started becoming really really popular we also would make one short comedy video that was improv um, based on our beats and our sense of humor. And um, those are online, Variety Shack uh, mm-hmm. is on YouTube, S-H-A-C. Um, and those became really popular. I think that that our sensibility was like really, it's like absurdist off beat. You know, we we directly, I, I'm i sorry, you're hearing that. I don't know what yep. that is, but um, it's a door you guys. No. That's what happens <laughs> in New York. You have strangers knock at your door. I'm just gonna quickly let that, yep. oh, um, I don't see anybody. I've got my rug, so I'm good. <laughs> thank you, America. That's what happens in New York. You have to watch out for delivery men. Um but uh we like I I would say that you, you know, um Fred Armisen actually texted me this time probably last year to say I'm spending my weekend rewatching your videos and you know i I've, I've known him for a long time and he was like you guys inspired me so much and you know portlandia was inspired by lots of you know just our, yeah. our our sensibility so those videos i think led me to the next stage which was you know writing um because that was based on us doing beats together based on our sensibilities and sort of knowing where we would go but we didn't write scripts you know and then from there, I started uh, writing for myself. I made a web series, and then. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a the camera. <laughs> I think not. Yeah. They no. Don't, they, don't, they don't get in if I can't see them. So yeah. I don't know. I, um, is,
1: maybe it's a really little kid that can just like
0: <laughs> hit one
1: button, but it's standing below the camera.
0: Like you gotta show your face it's yeah. new york we can't uh so anyway thank you guys for listening <laughs> to that buzzer but um yeah so now so from this this has all been organic because because of it i've created such a network of friends i would go to every comedy show when i first moved here i i was uh, going to all these small live shows eugene merman and bobby tisdale are friends with me and they had a show Um John Benjamin and John Glazer had their own show at a small bar. And like we just had a scene that was happening. We were all going to each other's show. I had a show. And um, those were the people that you would collaborate with. We all were friends. And we were all making stuff. I wasn't doing stand up. And I only started, I, I've done stand up in the past few years. Um, but it's really, I think, informed me as a writer and in making comedy film and also. I have a um, a record label which has now. It started as an indie rock label, but I'm now putting out stand-up comedians because I know so many that are so talented, and I want to share their work. Yeah, and they're not as uh, skilled in in that you know world as a rock and roller is. You know, right. Which is also that cuts back to the Eugene story. Like Eugene had never been on tour before when I first moved to New York. <laughs> It's relentless. It's relentless, You guys, I planned that. We're gonna have that happen. Um, another, just ten more times. I think it's just just ten more times. That's all you have to count, and then it'll. It's stop. not a
1: doorbell. You just hit snooze, <laughs> didn't you?
0: I've, ne- I've never had someone do it three times. Anyway.
1: So, so sorry, um, I want to just as I was going through. Uh, what I thought music I was hearing in Tigers and Monkeys. Now the, all the comedians that you're, you're, you're connecting with, those are like in my wheelhouse of kind of like the alternative comp comedy that I love. And um, yeah. I remember when a, so when I was a kid, we would exchange music, right. And uh, we lived near Chicago and some And the way we did it, like before the internet was somebody's mom, Uh, sometimes dads did it, but moms were the more supportive ones, right. We'd go in, uh, we'd pull up cash, somebody would go to a cool record store and then they'd bring back stuff and we'd make copies. Right. And that's how you'd get into new music. Because we didn't have a great, uh, a great radio station in Rockford. Maybe you would watch the before 120 minutes on MTV, like super late stuff. But when I got to Minneapolis, I lived in Minneapolis after grad school and uh, my friends there fell in with a group of entertainers and musicians. And then the one thing that we started, it was more like basic, for lack of better terms, kind of alternative comedy people. Right. And I remember somebody telling me about Eugene Merman and yeah. <laughs> love, love his work.
0: Yeah. You know that, that Eugene was the, I mean, he, we are very close friends too currently, but uh, when I got here, you know, he, he, and I, we spent almost every evening, like after work together, like hanging out, doing fun, like making funny songs, just doing, you know, things and talking about love. He was one of the few comedians that will talk about love and talk about relationships. One of the few male comedians right, that right. we talk about. Um, but uh, initially he had never, he told me he would never been on the road before, you know, he was new to this. And I was like, I will book just like David's. I was like, I will book us a tour. And I had a, uh, at the, that point I was in a duet um, with another friend, Russ Duncan, and it was called The Neverlands. And so we opened for I set up a tour and it was Leo Allen, Eugene Merman, and Dimitri Martin. And it was called the underdog tour. <laughs> yes. And so, um, I, I am very uh, proud about boasting about this now because I feel that women don't get as much credit for whatever role they play in, in changing the world. So I did have something to do with just like elevating and pushing. I, I, that is something I'm good at. And what I love to do is like, celebrate talented folks that are good people and like just you know not this i don't want them you know like it's not about money it's about their voices being heard you know so that's that is sort of the beginning of just me being tapped in in a way and then slowly creating my own content and yeah currently you know there's a pandemic i don't feel like i'm missing out by not performing i'm okay with Taking the time to write and yeah. write music and comedy,
1: you know. So that's that's great. And uh, mm-hmm. now I'll play. I'll play the role of a traditional Midwesterner, and yeah. then now I'll try to connect. Like, do we know people in common? Uh, but <laughs> you had mentioned Portlandia. Uh, do you know Allison Silverman? I do. Do you? I
0: do you know her?
1: My my wife and Allison were in the same improv troupe at Yale.
0: Oh wow, that's cool. She's cool. She yeah. was actually one of the first women that I saw that were so genius, like doing a bit. She did a bit at Eugene and Bobby's show. Um, and she, it was so funny and so weird. You know, that's, so yeah, we actually do know each other. We, I haven't spoken to her in years, but we're friends. You know, if, if we were connected, small world, she's yeah. talented, she's
1: No, that's great. Yeah, both, because uh, uh, I think that one of the things that could, connected, uh, my wife and I, we were, we're both uh, trained in and would do improv. Oh! So, and we just love absurd comedy. And I think one of the things that makes our friends nervous when we're out is somebody will throw out a topic and and not, not a topic like to do a bit, right. But it's a conversation's going somewhere, but there always seems to be like a friend might be drawn a line. Has it gone too far? And then it's, it's my wife and I seeing how far we can take a topic before we make everybody at the table uncomfortable and anybody that happened to be leaning in and listening, uncomfortable.
0: And that's the beauty, that moment where it's just between the two of you and it's making you laugh so hard and everyone else uncomfortable. Right. That's the best. I mean, that's the best. Yeah. And that would be, I would say my connection to all the people that I just, you know, listed that you know, is that it's not about them killing on stage you know and making everyone laugh it's about the moments where most people don't get them (laughs) but I do and it's so funny because no one else does and it's totally silent and they're on stage and it's the vet they call that bombing, I call that succeeding. I think oh, it's wonderful.
1: I actually love watching comedians react to bombing. Um, I don't, not not in a uh, kind of like taking joy in it, but I just really love, there's something authentic. And usually times when I see comedians bombing, it's stuff that I find hilarious, uh, but.
0: Yeah, oh yeah it's the it's so it's so good you guys so that, and if you do have that attitude and you're a comedian, you can never lose because <laughs> bombing becomes hysterical you know
1: <laughs> right on uh uh recently we were we're back on uh dave's podcast dave hills uh and the the topic of fugazi came up and so just blending comedy and uh music todd berry who's uh, also a drummer right but yeah. uh did, I remember yes. him him doing a bit because you guys were talking about what yes. Fugazi did to pricing.
0: Todd Berry is that is the person that really made me think about that. That and and then and, and not to I, I'm not name dropping when I say Todd is a good very like through this pandemic he lives nearby. It's one of the few people that I've seen in this time, and he definitely is the first human that made it clear how. Um, that paying five dollars to go to a show for the long run is really not a smart business move <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah because i think the bit that i heard one time was basically like the drummer do you think we could charge six dollars <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i'm getting tired of sleeping on couches yes.
0: yes and that's where i was like wait the connection of fugazi to me like you you know what you heard yeah i'm like wait that really stunted all of our you know growth as <laughs> as business people you know musicians aren't for the most part business people but it but you do have to cover your costs like that would be great you know right. instead of like dave said he gets to a place where he's like oh i'm going to pay everyone to come to my show i was like it's <laughs> so true it's so sad that you're like scared to ask people to pay to go to your show that's so sad um yeah, I mean, I don't miss that right now. That part of, of it, I had a, I have a live um, variety show podcast. Um, that's a monthly show, and that's a, been a, that that was like, especially in his past four years, been like the the most therapeutic, like fun sort of social hang for a community that that is like always there. I love it. It is free like there's no part of me that's like we're good it's almost like I think of it as therapy for me a a time to just like just let it all out just to breathe so I'm almost with Dave like I could possibly pay people to come to the show (laughs) it's it's so crazy that's where we're at (laughs)
1: <laughs> I used to, I used to manage an independent theater company when I lived in Minneapolis, and I, I have to say that that's what our box office felt like, that we were practically <laughs> paying people to be there.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll see. I don't even know. I mean, we have no, I, you can, we can't even imagine after the pandemic, like, I don't, I don't even know what it will be like. Will we, what will a show be? Like, will people be dying to be at a show? and if so they might be I, they, they might I, be I'm literally dying <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i i yeah it's hard to it's hard to imagine um trying to to re t- to come up with new ways to do comedy via the internet is is tough and you're just talking about todd but early on he's he did some live shows and i love todd i think he's one of the funniest people but it you know technically he was having issues it was hard yeah. he yep. couldn't you know he couldn't people would be lined up to to riff with him or to talk to you know the crowd like he does he can talk to any crowd and it's funny interview them but it, it there was problems you know and I was it's it's not easy to figure out how to do this you know this to me is one of the most fun ways to 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 live through the pandemic is just conversations yeah um, yeah really
1: so uh okay another possible connection uh because you mentioned todd and todd's done work with natasha Lagero.
0: i know i i have met her she's definitely friends with friends right she's yeah. friends with chelsea she's in the the right. world you know friends with todd like you said yeah. she grew but up I in rockford ever...
1: illinois Oh, but we really? i'm a couple of years older but we went we went to the same school at a couple different uh ah, times and she's
0: very funny
1: yeah she's uh funny. question for you too because uh okay you're wearing so many hats uh yes. and wearing them so well i uh, i'm you. curious uh so obviously music's your love but you did go you went to law school what did you did you have a, a focus what type of law
0: so um so I, I was gonna even quickly say that undergrad was I was a math major, which is you know, I just loved math. I don't even it was not an engineer, and, and honestly, the only other sort of career track that I see that I have not taken for me would be a math professor. Like I, I love math, so that's a side note. So for me to go to law school, um, there there you know outside of being a South Asian Indian. <laughs> The, the thought was, because I've always been, I'm a daughter of sociologists and anthropologists. Um, they were here at a time right after, you know, civil rights movement was sort of, um, you know, taking taking their strides in the 60s. But my dad, they were my dad worked at an African American university called Fisk University. Um, they were very much activists. Even within within the Indian community, there were standouts. They didn't have an arranged marriage. Um, they had different religions, different languages from India, from different parts. So they were really, you know, like unicorns in their country and here. And that's just to say, so that's sort of the like the influences they had on me. Um, public service was always, and I was I've always been community-minded, I've always been um thinking about racial justice since I was a young person. And um, ultimately in that little gap between college and law school, I thought I would do public defense work. I had seen, I worked in a restaurant in Memphis. I saw lots of young black people, you know, being taken advantage of, I thought in many ways, be it housing, be it work. There were just lots of things that I noticed. So that's where my mind thought um, law school would take me, you know, down that path. Ultimately, um, law school, I enjoyed it. I made great friends. I feel like it's empowered me in many ways. Um, But I definitely never saw the corporate path ever. And music was happening at the same time. I got signed to a pretty big record deal while I was there when they still had those, when they would pay you money to Live and tour and live large, and that was huge. I had thought, imagine that when I was 16. So, I at that point gave up. You know, I definitely was like, you know what, I can, I can, uh, uh, serve my community later. Let's just do the rock and roll. And rock and roll is also, I think, a public service too. Um, so ultimately, just living in New York in a high rent is all the only reason why I started applying my law degree and in, in terms of, of uh to make money and um yeah because I, I, music really took me away and kept me you know i i lived as a musician i tutored math on the side at, at a prep school and i waited tables and yeah. i was so happy you know after law school i don't think many law, uh, law students i graduated with did that but that's what i did and um then came to New York and had friends that were lawyers here who said, Hey, maybe you want to do, be a contract attorney at my firm. And that's how I got into that world. So I actually have done that on and off all this time while I've been doing, you know, and that has, you know, informed me in terms of this, where we're at in the state of the world as to how this works, Um, working at a huge, you know, Manhattan law firm, you know, from, you know, more the mortgage crisis issues, um, um, thing banking issues for sure. Oil issue like everything at the height of like how horrible things could be when it comes to big money. I've right. now worked on and it's, <laughs> if if anything, you know, you know. Obviously, I'm a peon in the law firm, but it's informed me as to uh, how this world works and how I should be so supremely happy. I have a creative world that i can immerse myself into and express myself you know um, yeah thank it's you been
1: helpful yeah. yeah part of that too i was just thinking what uh, uh just a powerful combina- combination for you i think it was even looking over your own contracts right yes. <laughs> is having yeah. that law background and and yes. knowledge which is also kind of like getting back to little lamb recordings uh you know, getting your own label and, and like you want to get voices out there, but I imagine, are you, I, I'm assuming that you're also putting the contracts together.
0: Yeah. Right. And, and um, you're exactly right. Uh, I don't think I even understood. You don't know um, what you know until you can compare yourself to friends that don't have that knowledge, you know? So I've taken it for granted for sure this whole time that everyone sort of knows you know how the law works and knows how to read a contract or right. knows just even um just the stands that people take like know how to call people out on their bullshit like that in and of itself right you know, and i've witnessed and helped so many friends just in terms of like work contracts work ordeals where i'm like no this is not an enforceable contract and all of a sudden i go oh i have you know i have some knowledge that not everyone has it, it's helpful, especially being a woman. Again, I, like I've had moments, um, I licensed some music for a film and uh, they were great. The producers were great. They said one thing and then the, the uh, production company said something else. And you know, just for me to be able to stand up and say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not gonna work for me. I wasn't told that. I don't think if I had the law degree, I would necessarily be as empowered to just think, nope, that's not gonna work. You
1: know. I love it. And now we're going to take a hard left turn in uh, yeah. the shit sandwich. That's 2020. Uh, yes. one, one of go. the things you posted uh, made me go watch a documentary recently. My octopus teacher.
0: Woo! Was that <laughs> not what we needed right now? Oh my gosh, Matt. I, I, I mean, honestly, I've had trouble sleeping throughout the past few weeks due to the state of our world. And I think, about that movie and i think i breathe slowly and i imagine the octopus floating and i think i said that before but it truly was so soothing and calming to really realize like how unimportant we are ultimately you know in many ways and how much you know we can do and be to exist in a different way in this world you know it's a beautiful film it's Everybody, you got to see it. You got to see it. My octopus teacher, uh, a diver, his name is Craig Foster. He, He is just so sick of his work. He needs something. He needs to change it up. He's, as a kid, loves nature and diving. So he goes back to that. And for a year, an entire year, he dives in the tip of South Africa and spent, he develops a relationship with an octopus. It is beautiful. It sounds creepy.
1: It does. It does. I I, and it is, but it's great. It's 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 beautifully shot. Um, There were a few times I noticed that I think maybe a younger me or who hasn't been emotionally beaten down by 2020. There were some things where I'm like, would I find this funny? Because it's like he he's he's so moved by this, right? And 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 I I think that's just one of the things as I'm getting older is I am when I was a kid, you know especially like when, you, when you're trading barbs with friends, right? It's like vulnerability isn't something, right? And you kind of mock it. And then I'm like, this guy is so vulnerable too as he's telling his story. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's and- so
0: true. And it is so difficult. Like you said, especially in comedy, vulnerability is something that I, that I will say is, as a friend to many male comedians, that it, that is a very difficult place for them to ever be and allow themselves to be publicly right. and 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 you're right in that watching it you can see they're riffing like the comedic uh take and parody of yes. this man um and i see that and of course i hope that craig would laugh at that but the beauty of it is so overwhelming and what we need right now and is so much more important Than the comedy bit on it. I know that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the balancing act right now. How important is your comedy versus this? You know, versus versus something that's actually like about beauty and complexity and love and connection, you know. Yeah.
1: So what, uh, for you, I mean, that was, so that was a great find and that was actually, you were talking to to Dave about it. So that's how I heard about it. Um, are there any other like kind of go-to things for you right now that bring, bring comfort or joy in 2020?
0: Yeah. I, um, I usually go to old YouTube videos (laughs) of music. I mean, that's the thing of music. You know, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, like anything that sort of can take me to a time that's outside of this, Right. that is something, it's very helpful that takes you back, you know. I also have that app, 10% Happier, which is a meditation app. Yeah. And I know there's many of them, but I think this one is so wonderful because there's so many different types of teachers and just taking that time, it's really hard for most people, but um, taking that time for yourself to just, because un- our brains, we're, it's like a non-stop assault of horror stories every day. And in, um, do you know this scientist, Robert Sapolsky? I bet you, you do. I don't. He's, uh,
1: no, he's I, I feel so like I'm letting you down. I'm letting you, no, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it's okay, because you're going to look him up and you're going to yeah. love him. Um, He is a bi- biologist, um, primatologist, like he studied, he did a 30-year trek. He's from New York where he studied African baboons. And this is just to go to, uh, he's written lots of books about stress, you know? And also his latest book is called Behave think you also can take his classes for free. He teaches at Stanford. They're online. There's a biology 101 that everyone should take. Um, but he talks about stress. And this is something I think everyone should understand about you are like chemical, the balance that we have. We are very much like baboons. We're, we're few, and they say whales and maybe elephants have the same sort of makeup, but that we are social creatures, and we have like a very complex um, way that our body addresses stress. Mm-hmm. And um most animals, right? The the when they deal with so-called stress, it's just like flight, you know, leaving, you know, it's because of a predator. But when they talk about he says baboons, which could be compared to us, it's like they have these social um, needs, and they only are like in terms of when, being a predator they usually they're not being attacked very often you know it's like 3 hours of the day they deal with that and then 9 hours of the day they're focusing on social and abstract we do abstract stress and we have this chemical release and it's uh you know adrenaline glucocorticoids and they they stop our body like our digestive system our our we have blood pressure issues because we do this nine hours of the day nonstop stress about mm-hmm. things that we are not even in control of, right? Because ultimately it's like, because you have nothing else going on. You're like, humans do this and we're hurting ourselves and our bodies and our minds. And, you know, the positive aspect of that is like, you know, don't isolate yourself, be social. You can change the way You focus on issues, but understand the stress will also make you sick. You know, yeah,
1: I believe that's great. My uh, friend, uh, friend, I remember as a kid, like in high school, talking to one of my friends' dads, and he was talking about the different, like in animals. Like you said, it's fight or flight, and that's like this. It is a big stressor, but then it's gone. gone, (laughs) And then he he kind of like looked out in the void and was like, "Yeah, because they they don't have a mortgage." insurance right? <laughs> yes. worried about losing their job and he just he we lost him for a little bit but it was like <laughs> yeah all these stressors that like all of these things and taking it back yeah. to meditation too is like where does right. your mind go or as my wife asked me sometimes she goes what's your mental default right now and you can tell when I'm in a bad place because it's like yeah there's something bad that I'm worried about and that just dominates yes. your thinking
0: yes And you have to stop it. You really do. And cooking also, I would say that's something most people during this pandemic, I think, have been going into the kitchen more often to cook. But I love the feeling of just cooking. It could be anything. You know, I I made my mom's chicken curry two days ago. And then I made ice cream yesterday.
1: All right. What flavor?
0: (laughs) French vanilla. Okay. Yes. It's so good. It's so good, (laughs) and it makes me happy. But honestly, that, I've been watching the French Open, like things that can just get me away from the chaos. But I'm also one of those people that are refreshing every day to see who's the next person that has COVID, you know? Right. I I definitely am still also in it. I'm an activist. I care. I want to do whatever I can to help make sure this election goes the way we want it to. And yep. um, I believe in power of the people, and every one of us. Every one of us are important, and every one of us make a difference. You know. So
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. The stress. One of the things I'm trying to break myself. I just the death scroll uh, when I'm on. Like, it's yeah. Twitter or or Facebook. Like on my phone. I should be sleeping. I should be reading something. But instead, it's, I'm.
0: <laughs> it's so hard. It's yeah. So hard. Yeah yeah
1: that's oh gosh it's sad. so sad so, shanali one of the last things that we like to oh, to do yeah on the podcast yeah. is talk yeah. talk about advice um okay. so and a couple years so i i steal from austin cleon's book steal like an artist so he claims when we give advice we're talking to our younger self but uh sometimes when i talk to creatives it's What was good advice you received like from a mentor that sometimes you, you, you still still sticks with you or, um, what's advice that you wish you would have had at a younger age, like knowing what you know now.
0: I'm going to say one, it's so simple, but something that I never really respected when it was told to me as a kid, which was my dad, um, which I guess, yeah, it's hard to really understand that your parents know anything when you're a kid, but my dad always said, write it down. Whatever it is, and this is so simple, but in this moment where we're going through so much, I feel like just a little bit of action can change everything in your day and what and how you live. So if there is one thing that you've been thinking about doing that you know would bring you happiness, you know, because that's the part, just getting off the couch, like doing anything. I was, you know, it's hard to feel activated to do anything, you know? But I would say that I'm not even pushing you to do it. I'm saying, write it down, put it on a post-it, put it up. Just do that. I understand where you're at. I understand things are hard. So I'm not gonna set you up for failure. I'm setting you up to succeed because all you have to do is write it down. And I'm telling you, it is so helpful because when you see, when you visualize something that you wanna do or thought of doing, it actually makes you feel good. I don't think it, it inspires you yeah. into the next step, you know? So that from that comes from Dillip Bomek, a PhD, had, former head of sociology department at Fisk University. He would laugh so hard because I used to say like, oh gosh, dad, that's just, I got you. You say it all the time. I used to be so over it and I see how important it is now. <laughs>
1: yeah you know thank you for sharing that and I'm just reminded like and I'm gonna butcher it so it's more paraphrasing but there was like an old Mark Twain phrase about how he left home and when he came back he couldn't he couldn't believe how smart his parents got (laughs) that's
0: it that is it I am blown away by my parents yeah every day I'm like whoa I was talking to him I I know we're about to go but I was talking to him about Tagore which it's taken me you know all this time my dad my mom would always say like I've seen Satyajit Ray films I've seen the Apu trilogy but I finally started reading some of his writings what during this pandemic and when I started bringing it up my mom and dad had so much knowledge and talked to me about who he was and his friendships with Tolstoy and Einstein and (laughs) Mahatma Gandhi and who he, he how he won the Nobel um, prize for literature, as and he's the first Indian. All this, and I was just like, "Oh, you guys are smart." Poor <laughs> 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 awesome. parents, you're a yeah. parent. Oh my gosh, I'm uh, not. So yeah, yeah, but I am an aunt, so I can feel it. I can feel it happening where they're teaching me <laughs> things. So like, I'm like, "You guys, you don't think I know that?" Okay, yeah. okay.
1: Yes Oh, Chanel, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast I hope when touring gets back I I hope that we can get you out to Iowa City
0: I would love that I'm ready to play rock and roll for sure And I want to thank you so much for having me It was really great to talk to you Uh, Send your family my best Tell Fiona I can't wait to hear her music someday
1: Right on (laughs) (laughs) right on yeah no she's gonna be delighted
0: (laughs) all right well thanks so much matt thank you you take care take care